Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Queering the Air on 3CR 855 AM. I'd like to start off today's episode by uh, acknowledging, as always, that 3CR broadcasts from uh, land belonging to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. In today's episode, uh, we'll have uh, the wonderful Arjun, uh, who's delivered a great long-form interview with academic Gilbert Kaluuya, who's a research fellow based at the University of South Australia in Adelaide. So Gilbert's written about race, sexual and um, the cultural politics of intimacy. And in the interview, he explores some of his ideas about gender in uh, greater depth. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'd love to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name's Gilbert Kaluuya. I'm a research fellow at the University of South Australia. Um, uh, and I guess you know me from my research around race, gender, sexuality, that kind of stuff, specifically around racism on the gay scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'll start with a few questions sure. about your essays. Um, and the essays I, I read were The Gay Scene of Racism, Face, Shame and Gay Asian Men, mm-hmm. and The Rice Steamer, Race, Desire and Affect in Sydney's Gay Scene. Yeah, these, yep. are, the, these are the two essays that I, I read primarily. Um, So in your essays, you use personal narratives to launch your discussions about, um, and I quote, the sexual rejections and fetishizations that constitute Asian male sexual subjectivity as a thoroughly racialized one. Mm -hmm. Could you recount some of these narratives from your essays and how they spurred your reflections on the topic? Sure. There was... um I mean, there was a lot of different experiences that I had. So the research that I did was to go out to the clubs. Um, I did ethnography, so that's a fun thing if, you know, you know, young researchers want to uh, spend their time dancing. That's a great way to do it. Um, so I went to clubs uh, and I used my body as a, as a place to gain experiences um, so that I can understand the experience of racism on the gay scene. So, I mean, exa- I know clear examples of that would be someone just saying to my face that they, you know, they, they don't do Asians. Um, sometimes I'm introduced to people um, and they just refuse to even recognise that I'm there. They won't say hi or they won't shake my hand. Um, at, but other times it's just a, you know, for example, misunderstandings. One time I was at a bar, um, I, you know, went to order a drink and this guy, sort of, I saw this guy out of the corner of my eye, I smiled just to be polite. Um, and then he suddenly, you know, put his hand in my face and was like, you know, I don't do Asians, um, which was kind of, I was like, oh, I was just being polite, man. You know, I was like, what is your freaking problem? Um, so I guess it's that moment of like, thinking about the intense emotional reaction that people have, you know, if it was just, um, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Right. Yeah. Then, then I think that's very different, but it's the, the sheer amount of disgust um, that people have that it, that's attached to my body as an Asian, which leads to me thinking about this um, as a particular form of racism that occurs in, in the gay scene. So hence we talk about sexual racism yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, and the idea there is that the experience of racism 
in the context of a gay scene, but also in the context of sexual encounters, um, affects your sexual sense of self. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I specifically chose experiences that resonated with the subjects that I spoke to. So going out onto the scene, speaking to other um, gay Asian men, just talking to them about their experiences of racism. So I specifically chose archetypal experiences that everyone could sort of understand. Um, In terms of, like, there being a political or at least some kind of, um, you know... I came to it with something, some kind of baggage, as it were. Mm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the work was propelled. I mean, I I came out during the Pauline Hanson era, which, um, you know, that's... (laughs) That's you know if anyone's going to be stuffed up, that's that's probably me. I mean, like Freud would have had a field day with me, right? <laughs> Coming out as gay during the Pauline Hanson era. That's just you know it's, it's, the fact that I survived that um, you know testifies a lot. But uh, so you know it, it, surviving those sorts of experiences of racism, I guess when I was growing up and still in the closet, there was still this kind of you know belief that once I came out and went onto the gay scene, I'd be surrounded by my people who would understand me. And so, you know, going to the scene and realising actually that the level of um, racism was much more than what I would face actually in everyday life was a real shock. And so it's that moment, um, I guess, is trying to understand what's, what's actually occurring here and also what effect does that have both for myself and for the community as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the I use the phrase traded spaces, which I take from Deleuze, which basically just means the ways in which we uh, try to create divisions within space. Um, uh, so, you know, basic examples. Um, I mean, we do it all the time, right? We create rooms, for example, so we can demarcate one space for another. They're not necessarily always bad, um, but how we demarcate space and how we separate space can also be a way that we manage people or bodies um, or you know society or community. In this case, um, I use it because I was looking at the experiences of what racism is. People always think of racism as individual instances of people saying something nasty about you to your face. Um, whereas uh, for me, it's much deeper than that. It's about the fact that it's very difficult to be mobile within gay spaces when you have certain kinds of bodies. Um, Something I recall, you know, back when I first came out and was going out on the scene, I was underage at the time. But um, <laughs> it was it was different because, uh, you know, I'd go to a, a particular club or a bar they wouldn't let me in. Um, and then when my white friends came, they would then let me in. So there were many bars or clubs that I couldn't get into unless I had white people who were there to, I guess, vouch for me. Um, other times it wasn't because of racism in that sense, uh, in terms of like a- no Asian bodies allowed, but in the sense that... Um, because I was Asian, they couldn't read my sexuality. So the, the race became a way of not seeing who I was, right? Mm. So what there's sort a, of uh, ignoring your your the fact that you are gay as well, and mm. you're there because you're gay. Yeah. So they would that they would. Um, 
<laughs> they would say like, oh, uh, excuse me, it's a, it's a, it's a gay club. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like um, yeah, okay, great. Thank you very much for that. Um, I didn't realise, you know, it was all male bar was gay, but yeah, it's cool. Um so there's that there's those sorts of ways in which you may be excluded from a particular bar without the bar or club explicitly saying no Asians, right? right. Yeah. Um but then also inside a particular bar or club, there may be certain spaces that are allotted for Asians. So, you know, all the Asians would hang out at a certain spot. And that's not because there's, you know, sometimes people can be a bit violent about it, right? So sometimes if you sort of go to the wrong area, people think that they're being um, helpful by letting you know that this isn't where the Asians are, right? So, But that's kind of like saying you need to be somewhere else, right? Mm. Um, even though they're trying to be helpful, but that's not actually what's occurring. Um and but you also, I mean, you would also do it because you know if you're there to pick up, um, you want to be in a space where it's easier to pick up, obviously. And if you know there's an Asian space and you're Asian, it's a lot easier to find people there than having to wade your way through other spaces where you have to deal with so much racism. Mm. So sometimes, you know, I mean, it's not all bad because there are nights when I just think oh, I just don't want to deal with, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with those issues. I don't want to deal with people trying to work out, you know, whether Gilbert's my real name. You know, do you have an Asian name? Yes, I've hidden it somewhere. You know, <laughs> I just, I pull it out at magical occasions, you know. Um, so, the, you know, there are times when I just think I can't deal with it. It's a lot easier there. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that people can break things up so that you can f- either be a loss at a certain space or feel that you can't, uh, you know, exist in certain places. And sometimes I'll have, like, specific clubs associated. Sometimes I might have, like, an Asian night yeah. um, at, a, at, a, um, at a bar or a club or a sauna. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, would you say your examples are taken from a specific era or is it still, like, would these practices or things would would they still happen today or were they like from a specific point in time and and place wow that was the kindest way of asking whether i'm really old no 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 i'm <laughs> <laughs> no, well, just joking yeah 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 i mean uh, do you think it's changed yeah, yeah no i totally understood i was having a go at you um uh i do think it's changed um, it's changed a lot. Um, and, you know, there's always that level of jealousy when you're like, oh, man, I, you, the things I had to fight for, um, you take for granted, you know. Um, and that's when I am old. But uh, I, I think that they've changed a lot in the sense that um, people aren't so overt about that kind of, um, uh, I guess, splitting up of people. Mm. However, um, with the rise of grinder and online dating, you have suddenly... Um, in very visible forms, overt uh, discrimination in terms of sexual preferences, right? So things that people didn't have to announce previously, suddenly people are announcing online. And I think that it, that produces the same sorts of problems with um, the constitution of sexual subjectivity that um, ethnic and racial minorities in particular um, develop within those spaces. So, you know, you may be able to go to more clubs and pubs without feeling 
the burden of racial discrimination. But once you're trying to hook up online, you definitely feel your ethnicity and race a lot more um, because of the limitations that it places on your sexual, your sexual life as a whole. Welcome back to Queering the Air on 3CR. This is um, You're listening on 855am or on 3cr.org.au. Today uh, we have a great show because uh, one of our producers, Arjun, is speaking to academic Gilbert Kalia. So we're going to jump right back into that uh, interview right now and they're having a chat about intimacy, uh, race and sexuality. Um, in the... You know, in the second essay that I read, which is uh, The Gay Scene of Racism, Mm -hmm. um, you write of your meeting with William Yang, Mm -hmm. um, who is a Chinese-Australian artist, Mm -hmm. um, and you you mention his comments on gay Asian male invisibility Mm -hmm. um, and and his, his comment to you that that gay Asian men need to be more visible. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the next, um, step. Um, what are your thoughts on visibility and representation today, Mm. um, with respect to gay Asian men? Yeah. I I mean, uh, William Yang is, um, uh, very lovely guy and he's been very, um, uh, supportive of me and my work. Um, I guess there I was talking, I think we need to be really careful with the terms that we use. Mm. Um, we need to be precise. Mm. Um, and maybe that's just cause I'm an academic. And so I get all like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> um, but, uh, I think that, I think invisibility does too much work. Right. So we right. often talk about like, you know, trying to become visible and what people mean is we need more representation on TV or we need more representation on a board or we need more, um, you know, political uh, rights, for example, like we need to define really what we're talking about because the issue for me is that, the, you know, the problem isn't the fact that I'm invisible. The problem is the fact that I am visible. The problem is that when I walk around, people see an Asian and they don't see Gilbert. Right? No mm. one sees Gilbert. Um, it doesn't matter whether they're, they're racist or not. They don't see Gilbert, right? That's the whole point. So the, the problem is that, you know, most of my interactions in in everyday life are often dealing with this Asian filter. And so really, I mean, you know this from every conversation, you know, it's like, where are you from? Oh, that's lovely. How long have you been here? Oh, so you're really Australian. So, uh, you know, there's all these different kind of ways of trying to then quickly work out how you sit in relationship to that category. They don't ask that of white people. Mm. And they don't ask that of a British person that has a British pommy accent. Like, where are you from? And, oh, that's, you know, because they're not trying to work out them in relationship to a particular uh, you know, stereotype, ethnic or racial stereotype. Right. Um, uh, mm. So do you feel, I mean, when you met William Yang, he mm. said, you know, the next step is for gay Asian men to be mm. more visible. Yeah. And he said invisibility is the problem. Mm. Um, do you feel that, uh, what are your reflections on visibility and representation today? Mm. Oh, I see. Okay. But you do make the point that yeah. invisibility is too much of a, well, it's it's a bit of an overstatement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I've you know I've already spoken about invisibility, uh, the sort of it's the very fact of visibility yeah. that then enables discrimination. Mm. So when people pretend not notice me, or when people um, refuse to shake my hand, or uh, you know 
like sometimes, for example, um, you know, if I have a white boyfriend, other white guys will, even though they know we're together, they'll just try and pick him up anyway. Mm. Um, because, I mean, to them, there's no way that we could stay together. Yeah. You know, that's just a temporary thing. You're just doing that because you can't get a white guy. Um, and I'll be a white guy, so it's, okay, it's all okay, right? Um, so there's that doesn't, that kind of invisibility only occurs because people recognize you as an Asian first, right? So that's why for me, those categories or those ideas are, um, are problematic um, because they do too much work. But I think the, the general question of, you know, visibility in terms of the community I mean I think in uh, I mean it's a sad thing to say that when it comes to our general media particularly our printed and online media you know we still don't have um, you know good representation and uh, and then at the same because there are so few instances of uh, non-white representation in gay media then they become uh, you know overly fetishized as a result so you can only ever have a good representation right so any bad representation suddenly is proof of racism um and i'm like that's oh look you know we're we've got a freaking, it's a massive diverse bunch of different people that have completely different stories and lives but because we have so few representations we're all fighting over what should be represented and whose voices should be represented so even when there's you know models like oh of course you know you have chinese right you never have you never have you know southeast asians or of course you have the thai boys you know you never have the um you know koreans aren't represented i mean that kind of level of uh, infighting within the community occurs precisely because we don't have much representation. So you're fighting over the crumbs, right? Mm. Um, so the sad thing is that, you know, probably the the widest diverse representation, the, the capacity for us to be represented, primarily occurs through pornography, which, you know, is often instances where we're not um, necessarily in positions of power, um, often can be quite exploitative industries, um, you know, run by white people within uh, third world countries. So, I mean, that is extremely problematic um, if that's the only option you have for <laughs> representation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the idea of representation, what you said there made sense as well in terms of, uh, you know, the infighting or, or the, the, you know, the, the picking of the... Um, um, you know, picking up the the picking on bones, I think, mm-hmm. is the expression, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So I'll, I'll I'll go to the next question. Sure. All right. So among other things, mm-hmm. two interesting concerns that uh, emerged from the second essay were, for me, mm-hmm. uh, comparisons with other kinds of racialized and specifically gay black uh, sexuality and comparisons with straight female Asian sexuality. Mm. And you don't really, like, elaborate much. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's implied, almost, or there's a throwaway reference mm-hmm. to it in your, in your essay. Could you comment on this? Could you comment on the comparisons that perhaps are not in your essay but exist broadly sure. in terms of, uh, you know, society? Mm-hmm. And how does gay Asian male sexuality interact with notions about um, other racialized sexualities and with female uh, Asian sexuality? Okay. So, I mean, these, I guess, 
one of the problems that we have often within our community and within identity politics in general is that we tend to think in terms of these particular figures, right, Asian, gay or um, you know, black, gay guy, whatever, and rather than thinking of, of the structures of racism, sexism, homophobia as interacting always at every point in time, um, interlocking oppressions is what they would be calling or, you know, um, uh, other black feminists would call it um, the, the matrix of domination. Or there's, like, there's a whole series of different ways. But intersectionality is the idea that we're talking about there. Um, so it means that at any point in time you're always actually in relationship to others or you're always, you know, um, uh, compared to others in that respect. Um, but it also it's also important because it's, it's understanding that the experiences of racism are completely different. Mm. So... I mean, the representation of Asians as being girl-like, boy-like, bottoms, um, small dicks, you know, uh, um, effeminate, uh, uh, you know, that that contrasts with um, black guys, uh, sometimes you know, Italian stallions um, and Latino passionate lovers, right, as... Uh, masculine ideals. So they are racial representations and they can produce problems. I mean, many black males in, uh, in African-Americans in uh, America point out the fact that there's, you know, often there's stereotypes around the big black dick and the, um, you know, having to be always this aggressive top, um, which, you know, they they don't feel, or not all of them feel serves them or, um, you know, relates to the experience and that's actually part of their um, politics of the burden of representation. Um, but then others, for example, would find that it's a useful space to negotiate other kinds of politics. Um, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah. So it's always it's always in, in in combination. I mean, historically, racism has always done that. Yeah. So if you look historically at, um, uh, I don't know, sort of early physiognomy for example they would have like you know the broad uh asian face uh, the yellow then white and then black you know so the black would be an extreme on another on one side and yellow would be extreme on another side or uh they would have um a line of evolution right so it'd be black is the worst asian in the middle and white is the the progressive um you know modern man in whatever way there were various ways they structured it but always everything was in relationship to something else right um and it's all i think in order to understand your own yeah racism you also have to sort of trace out how it affects other people as well why those categories come up yeah yeah i mean I mean, I was, talk- I was talking to someone else about this previously, um, and for me, I mean, you can you can literally trace these stereotypes and the categorization of particular sexual groups um, with the development and dissemination of gay pornography. Right. So I, I mean, I remember this one time. It was just, it was just a shock, right? Because I, I remember this young guy. He's a very good friend of mine. Um, he's probably not going to like me telling his story, but he, I'm not using a name. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he was he was younger than me, and he was talking about, um, you know, he was really into euros. I'm like, 
euros. Like, yeah. you mean, like, Europeans? Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, the euro look. I'm like, but, but you, he's a white guy, right? I'm like, yeah. but you're European. Like, in my, it was, the racial category didn't make any sense in my head yeah. until I realised that his view, you know, he had been looking at gay pornography produced in America where there is a racial distinction between black porn, um, Latino porn, uh, Asian porn, and Europorn. And Europorn right. is separated from American porn, right? So you have, like, Bellamy and all that kind of... And they have a particular kind of look, and they specialise in that look, and that aesthetic then are used online, regardless of whether, like, the racial categories of the person, so long as they're white. If they have that kind of look, they're then referred to as Euro, and it becomes a racialized sexual category. So the fact that he, in Australia was utilising, or like he would talk about Latinos, right? I'm like, Latin, in a, like, <laughs> Latinos, I mean, look, it's different now. Yeah. But this was, you know, earlier part of 2000s. We didn't have a massive Latin American um, community, particularly not in terms of the gay community. And so talking about them as a significant sexual category didn't make sense in our context. He was actually, what he was doing was uh, uh, utilising American racial pornographic categories. Right. It's not even just racial categories. It's pornographic, pornographic categories. categories. Yeah. yeah. So the, the media plays a central role in shaping how we even categorise sexual experiences. You know, with, with a focus on your writings about gay Asian men, mm-hmm. uh, sexuality and racism in Australia, what would you say are the major benefits of using an auto-ethnographic approach Mm -hmm. to discussions of sexuality and what if any do you feel are the drawbacks or Mm -hmm. the challenges of this approach or any reservations that you have about it uh for me the auto ethnographic approach um well there's the advantage here is that you're able to use your body as a knowing participant in space to trace experiences of um, whether it's racism or whatever other kind of experience you're you're looking for. So it's very different from, say, interviewing someone because you come with a whole baggage of knowledge that allows you to interpret the kinds of events that you're talking about um, in different ways. The other... one, But one of the main reasons why I chose to present my work in that way was because you know, many of the Asian guys that I was speaking to had English as their second, third, fourth or fifth language. Right. And, I mean, they've already experienced racism, they've already experienced um, the sense of, or the anxiety that comes with feeling like you can't articulate yourself. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to do was to take their words and then to twist it through my academic analyses, right? And them feel like I had stolen their story or stolen their um, example. And the other thing too is because in part I was critiquing the experience as well, I didn't want it to appear as if I was attacking them or their experience. So I chose, uh, as I said, I chose an archetypal experience that could be shared by a number of different people um, and posed it from as a Perth from the personal, right, yep. as an I. Uh, and then, and, and that allows people to sort of ease into the journey right. and not feel personally attacked, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think that was a really important choice for me to do that, and I'm really glad for it because there are a number of people that have read it, like, you know, any 
in terms of academia, it's not particularly you know widely read in terms of um, gay Asian men on the ground. It still is. I mean, there's still consciousness raising groups that use it, right? And yeah. I'm like, wow, that's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and really, uh, it's commendable that yeah. you know it's it's still it's still being read and people still relate to it. Yeah, which yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of you know it's always sad at the same time because you're hoping that you know it becomes old and people look back and they're like, oh, that never happened. Who is this? But like, I don't believe that, right? That's That would be an ideal kind of world. People are like, no, I've never seen racism in my life. What is this guy talking about? So, um, I guess the downside, of course, is that uh, there's a danger of feeding into the politics of testimony and the politics of, of sentimentalism. So this idea that it's all about your individual personal feelings and subjective experience, and that's not what it is. So the whole point of an auto-ethnography right, is the auto part is the self and the ethnos is the social. Mm. So you're using the self to understand the social. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean that you are the social. Or like, yeah. So just because you have a bad experience, it doesn't prove that racism exists, right? You still have to do that work. Yep. So there, there's, and I've seen lots of different kinds of that happen in various ways where people misunderstand how experience is being used in that context. Yep. And of course, that's because we have a very long tradition of testimony and confessionals, etc., in the West. Mm. And people read those as subjective individual stories. They don't read them as social vignettes. Mm. Mm. So there's, I mean, look, that danger is always going to exist. Um, yep. And, you you know, that's why you have to have other kinds of work as well. Yeah, yeah. I've always uh, wondered if there is perhaps uh, too great an investment mm-hmm. in everyday life, uh, in the life world, in academic terms, mm-hmm. and in journalistic and in academic writing and thinking with uh, deconstructing race and sexuality mm-hmm. uh, only in relation to their manifestations in Western societies and mm. Western centers, um, and and specifically in relation to gay, white, male sexuality. Mm. Um, does this uh, does 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 the popular culture of gay? First of all, do you agree? Uh, secondly, does the popular culture of gay male life worlds in Asian cities, for example, um, also offer some insights into race and sexuality? And if so. Has this aspect been in some way ignored or underplayed? Yes. Uh, not aspect, yes, rather, dimension. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I wrote those pieces at a particular moment in time where, um, and, you know, there was a group of scholars from like 97, right, to, to when I was writing about 2003, um, where it was really sort of trying to mark out those experiences because at that experiences are important because the hegemony, the sort of the narrative you have of what society, normal society looks like, right, includes certain kinds of experiences and excludes others. So sometimes, you know, early feminists, for example, they wrote about their experiences because that's what that was about trying to get people to recognise that there are experiences that fall outside of the narratives of society. So that's why it's important. But there is a danger of that becoming the focus of everything um, and itself becoming a kind of fetish. Um, and I guess for me, you know, there's a limited kind of politics that emerges because all you can really do is sort of say, this is racist, mm. which is and fine. this is racist 
in a specific context, like yeah. in the Australian context, yes. or this is racist in an American context or in a European context. So it's it's a West, it's a Eurocentric sort of uh, def- understanding of racism. Sure. Um, I'm not mm. meaning this as criticism, but it's okay. You can criticize me. No, no, not not you. <laughs> I mean, this is um, a general critique. No, this is a gen. Uh, not 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 individually. Mm-hmm. Um, broadly speaking, most critiques of racism mm-hmm. and sexuality that I've read have been um, about Western spaces and about yeah. Western uh, subjects. Mm. Um, and to me, coming from uh, an uh, having grown up. Mm-hmm. in an Asian city sometimes I think actually I would really I, I need that kind the racism that exists there and, and it does exist mm-hmm. there and, and the sort of social dynamics that exist there I, I feel they should also be deconstructed because yeah absolutely and that's that's the you know that's the point of um, yeah. I think I think there's a um, there's two points to be made. Yeah. One is that um, part of that has to do with the shape of academia and the funding structures that occur. So, I mean, the you know, the one of the reasons why Australia appears to be behind places like America is not because we are, it's just because we didn't have funding and there weren't, you know, jobs in those areas. We, there weren't lecturers in those sorts of areas. And so everything was new, right, in, this, in the sense. And the same things are occurring. I mean, I think you'll find now increasingly whole you know you know there are so many new amazing scholars that are emerging in uh, asia many of which have been trained um in other western countries which are now contributing to the english literature around these issues so you know asian culture studies asian queer studies queer asia but that was also occurring much earlier so audrey Yu, for example was part of that crowd fran martin there's a lot of people doing that kind of work yeah um i I guess, you know, it's a question of whether, you know, racism is the focus always, you know, is that important and for who it is? Um, uh, So, you know, uh, but I do think that it should be spoken about more broadly. There is a problem, however, in this assumption that racism in Australia is separate from racism in America. Or separate, you know, once you trace those things out historically, you find that the structures are actually they, you can actually trace out right. those structures in relationship to a tradition. Yep. In that context, because so much of the world was colonized, the passing on of those sorts of knowledges then moved to that other those other areas. So, I mean, it's very you know you can trace out, for example different kinds of racial logics that occur under, say, Chinese empire. Right, yep. But the question is whether those have continued into the present mm. or whether because of the, colon- the Western colonisation around the world, those theories have dominated yep. in terms... And I think certainly in places like South Asia, yep. it's definitely British conceptions of race yep. which are Absolutely. central to how yep. they think about race, ethnicity, caste, right? Yep. All these invented terminologies are central to how they describe themselves now as well and then therefore become part of how they um you know uh, uh, discriminate within those contexts yep 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 perfect and in a manner of speaking um what what we say about racism in australia and in, in in western societies does have ramifications for what how racism manifests itself in non western societies as well especially yes. post-colonial societies absolutely i mean it's it's i mean we're in such a globalized space now that it increasingly becomes difficult to dislodge those things and then they have new sorts of 
formations. So, for example, I mean, you know, there's really interesting work around um, how men interpret American music video clips in other parts of the world, right, where, they, mm. you know, there's kind of... Um, now, there's always the danger that people are like, oh, that's reverse racism. Like, no, nah, that's not actually what's occurring. But there's sexism involved there, and it's really interesting to trace out what's happening and how people interpret things. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think there is a lot of that work that's emerging. Yeah. Um, I guess there's always the distinction between like the things that affect people in their everyday lives and then the wider sort of stuff and you always have to start with that first because um i've and i you know i've been teaching now for you know a decade i guess um i've never met a student that starts from the big they always start from the thing that affects them yeah and through that they learn about other things through that sometimes they learn to care about other experiences of oppression or discrimination or whatever and through that they build up a wider interest in stuff all right and all right and the last question which is also kind of academic mm-hmm. but um I'll ask this and actually this is for me the most important question that I have today um I have been wondering about the manner mm-hmm. in which uh, gay Asian male sexuality when it is discussed mm-hmm. or when it is represented uh, is often or almost and specifically when it's discussed or represented in a Western context mm-hmm. is often or almost always uh, discussed and represented in relation to gay white male sexuality mm-hmm. uh, to use broad categories. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about everything from HuffPost articles to movies like Lil Ting, mm-hmm. um, etc., um, is there an exclusive focus on how gay Asian men relate to white men? Mm. And what about how gay Asian men relate to each other or relate to gay men of other races? Mm-hmm. Um, are these other desires undervalued, ignored or rendered invisible? And are these relationships considered less important or less appealing? Mm-hmm. Um, and is there racism amongst gay Asian men? And it's a long drawn question. Yeah, it is. It's a big so one. We can take it from is it do you feel firstly that when gay Asian male sexuality mm-hmm. is discussed in a Western context, it is discussed primarily or almost exclusively in relation to gay white male sexuality? Yes. Um and that's always you know but that's because of the function of the racial category. Yeah. So in order to understand what an Asian is, it always has to be in relationship to other races, whether, and usually it's white. Yeah. Um, in which case then any attempts to discuss Asian sexuality always comes, you know, in terms of why it's different from white sexuality, or white bodies or white men or white desire or white relationships. Mm. Uh, and um, also, you know, the characters that are depicted or uh, the, the people that we see are always in... Um, you know, we we see characters in relation to white men. Mm-hmm. So we see a partner who's Asian. You know, yep. you see the wedding banquet or Lil Ting or mm-hmm. um, what's the latest? Uh, I don't know. You know, there's the the partner the the partner mm-hmm. of the Asian man man mm-hmm. um, is uh, a white man. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of representation yep. we have. Um, is there? You know, is there? What about how gay Asian men relate to each other and relate to 
men of other races. Is that are those are these kinds of relationships undervalued, ignored, or rendered invisible? I think that there are some representations of it, but they're never actually explored in terms of the complexity that those relationships have. Yeah. Um, so it's easier to deal with interracial relationships when you have one white and one other, because then it's just substituting one white for some other non-white character. And then the presumably white audience, which it never is, right? We have a diverse audience, but there was presumed the audience is white. When they ask questions like, is this character relatable? What they're actually asking is, is this relatable to white people? Mm. Because obviously they're the only audience that they have, right? (laughs) So that's in in their mind, that kind of makes sense because then you can identify with one at least. And then, and then that's why that relationship is always portrayed in terms of like how that white person deals with the Asian-ness or blackness of the other, right? So like, it would be like part, um, sort of discovery, part anthropological, um, but you know, also sort of self-discovery through the other. Yeah. <laughs> you know those sorts of classic stories. Yeah. Um, there are representations. Of, what was that musical? I forgot. With the it was like an Asian and black couple, and the Asian guy uh, dies. It's a very big wow. story. It's like an, it was the end end of the nineties. It was a big New York musical. Okay. Oh, I can't remember now. Well, the only uh, the Rent. Only, okay, Rent. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot that. There's an Asian character in there. Yeah, the 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 main the, the it's the Asian guy that dies, right? That leads to the revelation um, with uh, Mimi. So the Asian angel um, comes and tells Mimi to like go back, right? You're you know the the guy's waiting for you. The sort of the main love song yeah. of that comes from the black guy. Uh, who's the partner of the Asian guy. Right. Um, and, you know, he sings that new beautiful sort of love song. So that, I mean, th- that's a... Uh, but see, f- I mean, that's such an American sort of thing, right? Way of looking at it, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you can see this, for example, in things like um, Queer as Folk, the British version, right? And then Queer as Folk, the American version. The American version ticked all the right PC boxes. It has every single kind of character that you need. Yeah. Every kind of minority then gets their own thing. You have to have a femme, you have to have a, you know, um, you have to have a butch, you have to have a Asian guy. The Asian guy can't be passive, he's got to be strong, you know. But that, that also creates its own problems in the American system because it doesn't necessarily present reality either. Yeah. So, you know, for example, this idea that in order to challenge the stereotype of the effeminate Asian, you need to have a butch, muscly Asian represented. Well, that's just bullshit because many Asians are effeminate. Many mm. Asian guys are um, uh, feminine uh, because of the traditions of sexuality that we have in our cultures. Um, yep. Right across the, you know, sort of Fafafin, the Bakla, Gatoi, there's lots of different kinds of uh, gender sexualities that occur, which were sort of on the cusp of what in the West would have been thought of in terms of transvestite or transsexual. Mm. So the, and uh, straight men who had relations with those uh, categories mm. would still be considered to be straight. Mm. So they the what p- 
people would that split between the gender and sexuality axes, mm. which occurred in the West in order to protect male identity, that didn't occur in those contexts. So those sorts of traditions um, still exist, mm. uh, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that, and I have, don't have a problem with being a bottom or you know. Yeah. Um, so there, there's always a problem of like relying too much on trying to not have a stereotype. Yeah, that you then actually continue the oppression, mm, right? Mm. So as if, you know, and I spoke about that in my work as well, where um, this attempt to try to recuperate some kind of masculinity also means what you're saying is that femininity is bad. Right, you right? talk about that. So, I mean, it's like, well, what's wrong with this small dick? Like, how yeah. come that has to be a problem? Why can't that be celebrated? Of course, it's not going to be, not in the near future. But it becomes a problem when you think the only way to challenge racism is to have a big dick Asian on a, you know, porn. I'm like, that is just, you know, like... Is that what our revolution has come to? I mean, what is such a limited sense of sexuality yeah. or desire mm. or love or relationship? Or yeah. There are so many other things that I guess for me the big thing mm. is when looking at this sort of stuff, it's not about the specifics of what we need to do next or whatever because I don't think you can really do that. I don't think you can tell people how yeah. to love or how to desire. Yeah. Um, and one of the big problems that we have in these sorts of topics is that you know, many gay men uh, have experienced a lot of trauma around their sexuality and have been told what to desire all their lives and have really felt the pressure of that. And then they come out. This coming out moment for them often is some sort of, you know, belief that they've reached this space where they can desire whatever they want. Mm. Suddenly they feel attacked from all sides because they're not desiring the right person. And they, you know, they're not designing the right race, and they're not. So, so now that's a problem. That's not exactly what's happening, but that's how they perceive it. Um, and I think it's so. That I think it's a problem to approach it from that sort of angle. Mm. For me, it's not about attacking individuals because they sleep with a white person. It's about understanding what has occurred to us as a community. If part of what we were doing is fighting against the strictures of uh, the church or the state. Um, or the norms of society to tell us who to love and who to desire, mm. then why would we give that power over to media as if somehow media are any better than the church, mm. right? So for me, what we've simply done is fought the church or fought you know, other kinds of powers, but still hands it over to the fashion industry and the media, mm. which is still a complete limitation on what we can and do with our love, our desires, our sexuality, our pleasure. Um, so for me, it's about the impoverishment of our sexuality, mm. of the full sexuality that I can have and can be. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point there. And um, is there racism amongst gay Asian men? Well, yes, of course, but that's not because racism is not a property it's a structure, so we all live it. Um, and we exist in the same media environments. I mean, I grew up and I had no Asian models um, in my life. I had no Asian characters on TV that I had a massive crush on. I mean, I watched... I had crushes on all the male characters from 90210, <laughs> um, which is... <laughs> like, it was like, oh, my gosh, how old is he? Um, but so I had, like... Do you, I mean, you know, those... It's not like you as a... 
13, 14-year-old, right, looking at TV. It's not like you're sitting there going, oh, wow, look at the racial representation. I can't believe there isn't diversity, you know, to allow me to invest my desires in different kinds of fetishes. <laughs> like, that's not what's occurring. That doesn't happen. You're yeah. just watching TV, mm. and then somehow you're like, oh, he's really hot. So you just develop these kinds of crushes over time. And, of course, in a on a white-dominated media context, most of your crushes are going to be white, and that mm. then affects the way that you think about desire. And it doesn't matter if you're from... Bangkok or you're no. from Melbourne because you're seeing Hollywood, you're seeing the same things, basically. Now, that's not to say that everyone does the same thing or desires the same thing. I mean, you know, that's why you can have those friend fights when you're like, oh, I can't believe you like that one. He's so gross or whatever, you know. Um, so, you know, there's still room for uh, diversity, I guess. Um, but... The, but for me, that then limits our desires, that limits our capacity for desire, which is one of the reasons why many white men who do desire Asians often desire them through stereotypes, not because they are born with these stereotypes inside their heads, it's because that's the only representation they have of us. Um, and often, you know, some guys, you know, some rice queens, for example, I speak to them, they'll talk about the way that their desire has changed over time um, because they've, you know, have much more interaction with different communities and they can see different kinds of groups. Some develop fetishes very for very specific kinds of areas. Right, I'm sure you <laughs> understand what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, I think there's a whole series. I think, you know, it's a structure and it's a grammar yeah. and it's a visual grammar as well yeah. and so then we have really what people are doing just sort of putting the lego pieces differently yeah but it's still the same set of pieces that you have left right um so i yeah i do think there is that problem and i think it's a massive one in our community because you know if you if you can't break away from those then of course, that's why you end up having the same sorts of paranoia, right? Because you yourself can't break out of it. So, of course, you're yeah. like, well, the only reason why he likes me is because I'm Asian, yeah. right? That, that you can't, it can't be anything else. Yeah. So, for me, I mean, I've moved to a, a point now where I'm not so concerned about stereotypes existing or even that they can be fetishized. That's not a problem. I mean, you know, people, like straight people fetishize gender, yeah, that's not a problem, right? The problem is when the fetish takes over everything, when that takes over all the relationship, right? And that means as a woman you have to behave in this particular way. That's when it becomes oppressive. So it's not a problem that someone likes that I'm Asian and that might lead to some kind of sexual frisson. The problem is if your stereotype of an Asian then relates to a whole set of other factors, which you then try to impose upon my behaviour and then limit what I can do in my life in order for you to maintain your fantasy, mm. that's when it becomes oppressive. So, you know, I think I'm a little bit more, you know, I need to see what's happening. Mm. I need to see what relationship, you know, there are, there are gay, white and Asian couples that stereotype each other. Um, and but have loving, happy relationships. They, you know, fulfil each other's lives. They are, you know, positive contributors to the lives of other people. Why, you know, why judge that? Like, mm. why does that have to be a particular problem? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And what would you say, for instance, if someone wrote to you saying, 
I like so and so. I like I like Euro guys. Mm-hmm. I don't like Asians, and I'm Asian. Um, but I face a lot of racism in the gay community, and I read your article. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is that I don't like Asians. I like just Euro guys, and, mm-hmm. and they don't like me back. What would you say to them? If they like your guys, but your guys like don't like them back. Yeah, and they say that's racism because uh, that's rejection and racism. <laughs> but at the same time, I can't help it because I only find your your guys attractive, mm-hmm. and I don't find other Asians attractive. Well, at the at my ripe old age, <laughs> right? I'm so, I would say there is always space. I mean, I just don't, I don't buy that there is an entire group that you cannot. And this is an Asian saying this Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I don't buy that there's an entire, and you know, if, if you're attached to white guys and white guys don't like you. In general, what you're saying is in general, white guys don't like me. But that's, I mean, you can find white guys that will like you. <laughs> that's just, that's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big And would you challenge the scene. other part of the question, which is that I don't like Asians. Would you challenge him? I don't that? think it's my part. I don't think it's my place to challenge individual people about their desires. Um, I think I did that when I was younger. Mm. Um, but I guess I have a bit more space for, it's not, um, I wouldn't even think about it as forgiveness. I think it's about, I would rather put my energies into creating an environment where the kinds of desires that we can have are multiplied and therefore the kinds of lives that different people can have, lives that I can't even think about right now, become possible to live happily and healthily. Right. Mm. I'd much rather put my energies into that so that if he, at some point, if that's the life he chooses for himself, great, and he's happy and that's fine. But if at some point he goes, actually, this is not right for me and I don't like this, that at least there's an alternative world that he can draw upon in order to uh, fulfil his life dreams, right? And I think you can see that now with, like, um, you know, back in my day when it was really difficult to get into places, and that's just really difficult now. I mean, it would be very difficult for someone to just say outright, you know, no Asians in this club, right? So those sorts of challenges do make other lives possible. That's what I'd rather put my energies to. So if someone, you know, is just like, you know, sometimes people ask you that kind of, you know, what I do to make myself more attractive to white people, I don't know. <laughs> ask, ask my more successful friends. <laughs> but I'm not going to have a go at them because they desire a particular race. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a, you know, same with like white guys that fetishize Asians. I'm not going to have a go at them for that. Um, you know, if you can find a way to love someone... Um, I know. I think I think just finding love is difficult enough. Um, who am I to sit there and judge other people about it? Mm, right. Oh, great. Okay. Thanks so much, Gilbert. For <laughs> no <talking>. worries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Arranged in everything. <laughs> <laughs>